Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson with special guest Kyle Hester. Coco Kosky will be joining us. She's running a little late. It appears that she's getting her COVID vaccine shot and that she had to drive about two hours away to get the shot. So she may, so she's running a little late, but she will have her COVID shot. We'll have to, we'll get a, a special report from her about her experiences and so and kyle welcome back to the show well thank you very much for having me i'm glad to be here and uh, you know what i guess like if you got to drive two hours and that's uh that's what you got to yeah. do i guess so. i mean i i was well, i've got my two shots already so it's that's yeah, awesome and, yeah and you know the nice thing you know the answer oh by the way for those people who don't know who I am, I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am also the project director for America's Majority Foundation, the author of eight great books, including Boxing in the Shadows, A History of Black Fighters in America, and The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism. Yeah, and Democratic Socialism. Uh, uh, sorry about that. I lost my thought. It's, it's, you know, democratic socialism. And what I response should be: these are bucks are not yet bestsellers, but they all should be. And Kyle is an independent filmmaker uh, with classics, including Zombie with a Shotgun, and soon coming out in the future, Preacher Six. So, is there anything else I missed that you want to talk about? Uh, well, you know, um, I guess, well, there's the, the one film, uh, The Chair, which is uh, with Roddy Piper. I, was, uh, I got to uh, produce that and, um, and played a, a role in that as well. There's when my, my, the very first film that I produced. So, but that's it. You've done a fine job, and I feel well represented. Yeah. Well, I'm to say, by the way, they're available on Amazon Prime, correct? That is correct. Yeah, so you can download these things, and uh, and like I say, this is an up-and-coming uh, films uh, producer, and also because you also star in a lot of your films too. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that that has been a part of part of the deal. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta be a part of the whole jam to get these things made. Yeah. So, and uh, and you will be moving. You're in Louisiana right now, but you will be moving back to L.A. at the end of April. And I, I know we were talking about that, and I guess the point you were making to me is that, you know, you've had a lot of contacts over the years in L.A., and you just can't make those contacts up. That's true. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it, it's one of the things, like, when we came out here um, that I, I think that we, you're not really ready for that. Because, you know, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I can, um, you know, I just make up you know, a whole crew and, you know, and just make movies there yeah. without, you know, yeah. talking about all of the, the how to do that. So, 
Yeah. Well, like I said, dude, what we're going to do here, we're going to talk about uh, Marvelous Five on Hagler, Drew Brees, because I know you're, you, you're, cause like I say, you were, I mean, raised in New, New Orleans area, if I'm not, if I'm correct. And then your dad, dad played for the Saints? Yeah, yeah. My dad played for the Saints in the 70s. His, his, his name is Ray Hester. He was a linebacker back in the day, uh, 71 to 73. So he played with Archie Manning and um, all those guys. So, yeah. So when, basically when the, when the Saints were relatively a new team. Yeah, and relatively bad at that point. Uh, of course, was, was Tom Dempsey part of that team when your dad was there, the kicker? You know, I I believe so. If not, they were like right, like miss each other. But it was it was right around then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, for those people who may not remember Tom, uh, you know Tom Dempsey, he had a what was it like a half a foot or a club foot? I can't remember. Was his kicking foot? Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy. He was a saint. And uh, he played for several teams, and they and the, the thing to remember, like the guy, you know, those days he he, he had a, like a field goal percentage of about sixty percent of his field goals, which in those days was actually pretty good. Uh, you know, today's kickers are, uh, I mean, it, it, like I say, we get spoiled by some of these great athletes today because they're like, you know, you have forty, you know, forty yards, you're what used to be not an automatic field goal has become an automatic field goal. And and he was the one that set the first – he was the first kicker to hit 60-plus yards, 63 yards. And he was against the Lions, and I remember, you know, they were interviewing Alex Karras afterwards. And, you know, Karras was, you know, said, we thought this was a joke. I mean, seriously, we did not take this seriously that this guy would make this field goal. And he was a straight kicker. You know, he wasn't the soccer style either. I think he was like part, he was, you know, part of that generation that still, you know, kicked it straight. Uh, in fact, I think the last good kicker that was the straight was Mark Mosley of Washington in the, you know, early 80s. So a uh, little tidbits there. But, okay, what we're going to talk is, so we're going to talk Marvelous Marv, we're going to talk group Brees and the lessons to learn. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the governors. Uh, I want to get, you. I don't know if you've been keeping up with, Cal, since you're going to be back in California, you may have a, a governor doing a recall. Uh, we had some stories about the vaccine in Europe I want to kind of touch on. Um, and then we got some really crazy stories, some really crazy stories, and and when Coco comes up, we'll have a, have her talk about her experience as well. So this is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. 
never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Tom Donovan back with the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want to call in, and fans of Kyle Hester, if you also want to call in to talk to your guy, uh, and you got a lot of fans, by the way. I mean, I'm looking at your Twitter side. you got quite a few followers on Twitter. Uh, 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. You know, if you have a question, comment on anything we say, or if you just want to call in and say, you know, Kyle, you're the greatest indie film producer ever. You know, <laughs> feel free, feel free to do so. All right. I, I, I get. I, I'm a boxing, you know, a boxing fan, and and I and I love the NFL football, and and we had the retirement of one an unexpected death of Marvin Smart Hagler, and it here's the thing I always remember about him is he was a fighter that fought anybody. And when he was coming up, nobody really wanted to fight him because he was a tough fighter. Eventually, he got a first title shot. Uh, and this is kind of the way his career went because he was one of the – he was the one fighter in this old golden – you know, it was like a golden era. You had Sugar Ray Leonard. You had Tommy the Hitman Earn. You had, you know, Roberto Graham moving up to welterweight and then into middleweight. So you had these three very popular fighters – and then you had Marvelous Bob Hagler, uh, who basically was like the fourth pin in all of this, probably one of the great middleweights of all time. And he was always one of those who never quite got the popularity as the other three. The other three were like guaranteed big, big, you know, pay-per-view type of deal, whereas Marvelous Martin was like that fourth person, you know, as far as the fans went. And, and, and just show you kind of luck he had. The first fight, it was got this Italian Vito Apriniero, uh and uh, and he basically plundered this guy. And he still ended up with a draw, and the guy kept his championship. He would eventually come back and knock him out in another fight. But then he goes to Great Britain to get, you know, Alan Mentor's version of the title. And what I remember is he beat the snot out of Mentor. And British fans, and he was, this was in Great Britain, and British fans being British fans, you know, started throwing bottles into the, the ring. I mean, he literally had to basically, you know, run for his life because, you know, cover up and just get out of town, uh, wow. literally. So, yeah, and and so it was almost like that. But I must say, you know, he had to, you know, the fight with Sugar Rayland, which was his last fight. And, but the greatest I, I, people, if you ever want to see one of the greatest fights, shortest fights ever in history, you know, marveling, ha, marvelous Hagler versus Tommy the Hitman Hurts. This, in three rounds, you saw more action than you see in a lot of fights that go to distance. I mean, literally, these two guys, you know, there was no feeling out. They just basically started winging at each other. And in, in fact, marvelous. Got you know the Hagler got nailed a couple of shots with Tommy the Hitman Hearn's right hand, opened up a cut, and they were just going after each other. 
And this went on for like three rounds. I mean, no feeling that. It was like they were literally averaging about 200 punches per round. And we talked That is insane. It, it was insane. It's the most insane fight you'll ever see. And, you know, Hagler won in a knockout in the third round. He finally he got to a point where they were both exhausted, but he finally hit, you know, Hearns with a beautiful, because he was a softball, so he hit him with a beautiful right hook that, you know, sent him down. But it was, I mean, it was just one of those fights where you, you know, you just, it's worth watching again. And he was one of these guys, when he came to retire, because he was offered millions of dollars for a rematch with Leonard. And I always thought that if he had the rematch, he would win the rematch. Uh, but he basically said, you know, in fact, he kind of told Leonard one time, you know, why don't you get him, get your own life. You know, I'm here. He went to Italy, acted in a bunch of films, you know, was often played the villain, you know, kept his money. He didn't waste his money. He didn't become bankrupt. Uh, and he basically came to the, you know, it's one of those things where I always say, you know, you get to that point with athletes, basically, you know, including fighters, and, uh, you know, they never know when to quit. He did. He just said, you know what? I don't have the skills I used to have. I got my money. I still have my brain. I'm done. Goodbye. And that was the, you know, that was it. And I don't know if you have any memories of Hagler yourself. Yeah, you know, um, vaguely. It it was, um, I don't think, I mean, I remember Sugar Ray Leonard. That's like, that was a fighter that, that like, I, I remember as a kid. You know, being able to see yeah. some of his fights, but um, yeah, I know that Hagrid was, you know, one of the best. Yeah, well, like I say, he fought David. Like I say, it was one of those golden eras. I mean, you literally had some great fighters, and the thing is, they fought each other. You know, Leonard fought Hearns. They all fought Roberto Duran, uh, and they all, you know, ended up fighting the Hagler. So they all had this round robin in many ways, and. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and like I say, I mean, and like I say, they and they were big money fights. I mean, you know, they basically in those days, it, you this was a, you know, after the Ali era, you went into the home era right before the Tyson era, or in the Tyson era was starting at the end of the eighties. Is that the heavyweight kind of you know, for some reason Larry Holmes never connected with fans, and the heavyweight never had the same pizzazz that it did during the Ali era, and. And so these guys fill that gap of great fights and great fighters. And, I mean, I, you know, you know, they pretty much put Vegas on the map as the capital of boxing. Now, the other aspect yeah. of Drew Brees, yeah, Drew Brees is this. You know, when I look at Drew Brees, you know, the guy, I don't think he was six feet. And he's the kind of guy that, you know, if somebody, I mean, I think if he was drafted, got in the second round, right? And he was uh, kind of part of that deal. If I remember, uh, you know, if he was, no, he wasn't part of that deal. I, I was thinking the Eli Manning shift, but he started, he was drafted number no, two. No, that was uh, that was Manning and Ryan Leaf. Yeah, no, no Manning and uh, Phil, you know, Philip Rivers, wasn't it? Philip Rivers. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
Lion Leaf was associated with Peyton. But, it, but you know, here's the interesting thing. He was drafted in the second round. Uh, he had to basically start sharing duties with Doug Flutie. Uh, he had a couple of decent years in San, you know, in San Diego at the time. And then he injured his arm in his shoulder. And, and uh, basically, you know, he, he, you know, he was about to go to Miami, and for you know, whatever reason, I can't remember the reason, he ended up in New Orleans with uh, Sean Payton, as they say, yeah, the rest well, of history. Go yeah, ahead. I think that, that was like, uh, I think Miami was the only other team that was willing to give him a shot, you know, because of the shoulder injury. And uh, and yeah. he decided to go with New Orleans. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the guy's – I don't think he was six feet. And 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 and, and, and Lexicon and the NFL, they're looking for guys six three, six four, six five. who can throw basically the entire field. Uh, you know, somebody like Lionel yeah. Leaf, which we'll talk about very briefly. And this guy – but this guy had it. He was – I mean, you look at it. You know, almost every NFL record, he's like number one and number two. Total yards, I think he's number one in total yards. Got one of the highest percentages of any quarterback there is. And I think he's like number two behind Brady on touchdown passes. And, you know, somebody was saying he's had more four and five touchdown games than anybody else. You know, just to kind of put it in perspective. And to me, the left – yeah, I think it's going to be a long time for before some of his records fall. I think Brady is probably the only one that can touch him. And I think you're right. Brady is leading in, I think, yeah, so, I think touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, touchdown passes. I mean, they had that. Yeah, this was the year that Brady kind of passed them for good because he had the yeah. good year. And, and Well, here's the thing. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up Ryan Leaf because this is that you look at quarterback, nobody said, God, this guy's going to be an all-pro, all-time great. You know, it was, you know, and yet that's what he turned out to be. And then you go to Ryan Leaf. And I can remember when Ryan Leaf, and it was Peyton Manning, was the number one draft. Ryan Leaf was number two. And I don't know if you ever remember Bobby Bethel, the general manager, the, you know, the great general manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was the name. Yeah. Well, he asked him, and I said, well, you know, Ryan Leaf will turn out to be greater than, you know, Peyton Manning. He had a greater upside. And, you know, suddenly he was like 6'6", six, six, and basically could, you know, throw the ball right down. Of course, the problem you run into is that, is, is that mental, is that mental side of the game. And namely, Ryan Leaf was just an immature guy. He wasn't right. ready for the NFL. Whereas, okay, you know, Bruce, you know, and Bruce was on these guys. He had to work his way up. You know, he had to prove to people, I'm good enough. And so with one guy, you had the guy just basically had the heart and the dedication to make himself a superstar. The other guy had all the skills to be a superstar, and within four or five years, he was out of the league. So crazy. So crazy. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, and, I mean, here's the lesson to learn from this, from all, you know, from this, is the first lesson is appearances can be deceiving. You know, it's all about work ethic. It's, you know, and taking yourself to another level. You know, if you look at the top superstars, you know, 
uh, LeBron James, you know, Michael Jordan in his days, you know, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. The one thing they all had in common is that they were always the first one in the locker room, the last one to leave. They, you know, they did whatever it took to prime the skill, to lift weights, to get themselves stronger. They would add to their game. You know, I remember LeBron James, you know, basically was not a great three-point shooter when he came into the league. But mm-hmm. you don't want him having, you don't want him having thrown three-point shots at the end. And you look at somebody like Tom Brady, who's taking care of his body. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, that's the reason why he's at forty-three. He's still a, still a very good quarterback. He took care of his body. Yeah, and again, this guy yeah. was drafted number. Yeah, remember he was drafted in the sixth round. Yeah, you never know who's who's going to do. But yeah, you're right. It, it always comes down to like to the work ethic. It's not necessarily you know those the first round you know burnout. I don't know if it's like if they get too like they believe their own hype or or like I don't know when you get that contract and then saw the motivation isn't there anymore. But but the, the yeah the ones that are special are the, the hard workers. Yeah, and like I say, and the thing is, people look at superstars like a Michael Jordan, and, you know, he was a very good player coming out of college. But you look at these super, the superstars, the super guys, and those are the guys who become better. They take their game to another level. You know, and I'm thinking Quali Leonard, to me, is a good example. When Leonard came in the league, he was, he was listed as a defensive specialist with offensive, with offensive deficiencies. Well, I wouldn't say that Kwali Lender had any offensive, you know, the uh, now, but he worked at it. He basically turned himself into a superstar. You know, he he worked on his game, and you know, and he, you know, like you said, if you look at the way he played in the first three or four years of his career, today there's no comparison. But he turned himself into a superstar. All right, this is Tom Donaldson with uh, Kyle Hester with the. Bachelor News on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the Donaldson Files. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow, Jinx. (laughs) Did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, Yeah. so obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files. If you want to sponsor this show or any show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, listen carefully. L.A. Bachelor. 40 at gmail.com and we'll have somebody contact you and give you the some great rates everything that you need to become a sponsor of this hour and what's the sponsor of this hour 
it could mean basically three ads plus an Israel plus. Coco and I will talk about what a great sponsor you are throughout the show. So you get your – and we have a podcast. We have a website the Bass, uh, on the Bass News Radio Network, and your ads will be repeated on those pod, you know, repeat podcasts. So people will be hearing your ads for eternity almost. So com. No, at you know, L.A. Bassford Gmail, L.A. God, let me see. L.A. Bassford 40 at gmail.com. All right, there, I got that. All right, all right, all right I'm going to ask you this question because now I'm going to get you in because you're a California guy. You know, I know you've been out of the state for a while, but is Galvin Newsom really going to get recalled? I don't think so. I think that it's um... – I think it's – I mean, the Republicans are really pushing hard, and they got a lot of money behind them and whatnot with super PACs you know, to try to get them out. But because it's like an up or down vote kind of thing, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just – because it's, it's, it's what I say. I mean, it's – you know, you, you look at him, and then we, and we'll, go to, we'll, we'll talk about Mario Kumo as well. It's like a chain of fortune because, you know, you know like this time last year – Galvin Newsom and Kumo were the guys that were listed as the guys to deal with the pandemic and COVID. And Ron DeSantinis would become the villain in all this. Well, you know, the guy who's doing it all wrong. And and I guess my question would be is that, you know, it's an interesting thing. And I don't know how much of this is due to our people just tired of the lockdowns or the economic restrictions still being put in California and the high unemployment because they, I mean, it's, you know, California unemployment is, they're like number 49th out of 50 states. You know, how much of that comes into play? I don't know. You know, what's your thought? What are people telling you? Um, well, I think that it's, things are slowly starting to come back. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, it's it's been a lot of, what to open, what not to open, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think we're really going to know the answers to what the best ideas were until it's all over, you know? So, I mean, it's like right now, you know, people are opening up the States entirely and, and this is, this, this is not over, you know? So, I mean, it's, we're on the home stretch, you know, with shots and whatnot, and I can't wait to get mine, but, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it'll be interesting to look back on it to see all of the uh, all all of the the numbers and you know com- compare and all the kind of stuff like when this is in in the rearview mirror. But it's like when you're when you're in it, it's um it's the answers are hard because it's like the it the numbers do look similar. It's like re- regardless of you know um, you've closed down or not closed down or um, yeah. but. So it, they they are similar, but they are different, you know. So I think that the indoor stuff, I think, is is uh, that's where it transmits yeah. the most, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, here's the thing, because I I mean, because I keep data every week, and I've got people on my staff, and I've also hired people, and I've got access to you know, other think tanks out there. You know, what's your data? And they and I get a lot of data gets shared with me. You know some of their data, and 
here's the, you know, I, I guess the question is this from the beginning, and I know people have disagreed with this throughout, you know, you know, when do you decide to live with the virus and when do you say, okay, this is what we're going to live with. Uh, and I've always been one of those who like last summer, it's just time to live with the virus, find a way to protect the most vulnerable, start opening the economy. Cause I, as for me, the long-term damage to you know the, to, to the economy and not so to the overall society would be more costly than dealing with the virus, which by the way it's again it's a and the virus you know, and there's some peculiarities to this virus too. That's always been my first view, and I think you know we are into that debate between you know, because Newsom was one of those with a harder lockdown to run the, the Santinas in Florida, and I, I want to kind of touch base with this with the Florida side of the equation because, you know, Ron, I mean, see, Santinas, you know, wasn't an automatic, you know, people tend to, you know, don't need to understand his opening last summer was a gradual thing. You know, I talked to people, it wasn't like they opened up all at once. They opened up gradually. And, and I think he was one of those that, like myself, question, looked at the data and said, is this the right path? And he didn't have a lot of, and and, and I knew people who, who followed him, who knows him. And they'll say, you know, he went out and looked at, and it, I mean, for example, they had like in May, he had a conference with Martin Kolodoff, uh Michael Levette, who's a Nobel Prize winner, and Jay Bugatti, you know, out of Stanford. And he, you know, and he was saying, and he had these guys on, and he said, okay, what's the pathway? Now, they tend to be more skeptical of the economic lockdown, like myself. And I was going to say that's always been my bias, the mm-hmm. direction he went. I mean, he didn't do it. I mean, there, was a, there is a scientific debate going on, which I think needs to be done. We need to know all the right lessons. And, and I'm wondering, in the case of Newsom, you know, how much of that is starting to play in? Because, you know, if you're, like I say, Disney is a good example. You know, they... If I remember correctly, they had something like about ten thousand people employees, you know, fight early laid off last summer. But eighty percent right. of those were in Disneyland in California. In other words, the Disneyland, which is a smaller park to begin with, basically had the lion's share of the cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. And that you know, that to me and, and I also think the other aspect is with politicians, you know, if you're going to tell people to lock down, if you're going to tell people you don't show up at fancy, expensive French restaurants with 20 of your biggest donors without a mask, which is what he got caught doing. <laughs> as, as they would say, mistakes have been made. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. I mean, this was to me the the issue. And and I would say again, you know, you can debate what's the best way. I mean, because I would look at Newsom as you know that to me, you know, was more of hypocrisy. In the case of Mar, I mean, Andrew Cuomo. Basically, let's put it this way: Cuomo is it's karma. He's getting what he deserves, in my view. Uh, it's going and it's going to be kind of interesting. What happens to Andrew? I don't know, you know what your thoughts are on Andrew Kumo at this point. 
Yeah, you know what? I mean, I, no matter no matter who it is, Republican or Democrat, it's like I will always give people the benefit of the doubt when somebody yeah. um, makes an accusation. But then when you have a lot of accusations coming out on the same person about the same thing, then it's like, all right, well, it looks like there's something to this. So, um, so yeah, make make that investigation happen. And um, and I don't at, at this point, you know, I mean, it looks really bad. It looks really bad for him. So, I'm sure. um, I, I am also interested to see to see how this all all plays out. But yeah, this is well, that's here's the thing to me. You know, here's the thing to me was uh, it's not just to me. It's the nursing home scandal. It's far worse. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not because here's the thing. He was, you know, he was one of several governors who did this. It wasn't just him. It was uh, Murphy of New Jersey, Wolf of Pennsylvania, Whitmore of Michigan, as an example, who basically were putting COVID patients into nursing homes. And the rationale at the time was, well, we got to save space in the hospital. But in the case of Kumo. I mean, he literally, he had a ship available. The Jacob Javits Center was basically made available, you know, for any overload that happened. And and there was enough scientific data to sit back and say, this is not the brightest move. You know, we're just finding out Murphy was warned. And my favorite is, is in the case of Pennsylvania, uh, Rachel Levine, who's now been appointed, you know, yeah, as part of the uh, you know, Biden administration. Wait, what what happened? What happened in Pennsylvania? Okay, here's again. In Pennsylvania, they did the same thing. They put COVID patients into nursing homes. Now, Rachel Levine was the chief medical. She was the Tony Fauci of Pennsylvania, and she was part of that order. Yeah, yeah. Let's, that's what we're going to do. But the first thing she did before she instituted the order was she took her mother out of the nursing home. And then she placed, then she instituted the order. And I always thought to myself, hmm. you know, wait a minute, why did you do that? Or were you suspicious that what you were doing may not be scientifically valid? That you, you, you took your mother out but how many other mothers ended up dying as a result of that policy? Who, uh, people who didn't get that option. Yeah. Uh, but in the case of Kumo, it's not just that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to make two, you know, two points, and, and I'm going to get started here, uh, and then we're going to – but to me, first of all, number one, this was self-evident last April and May. You know, I, you know, I, because one of the things you know, a lot, anybody could have done, I did this myself. I was looking at numbers, and I was like, wait a minute. How come New York, uh, nursing homes deaths in New York were like 20%? In New Jersey, they're 55%. In Minnesota, they were like 80% at the time. And I thought this was strange because every, cause I knew this was going on. Everybody did. But, you know, how did, you know, you know so you had to figure something – Funky was going with the numbers. And then in May, you find out that they changed the definition of a COVID death. Namely, if you died in the hospital, if you were a nursing home patient, they stuck in the hospital and you died, uh, they counted you as a 
it, it didn't count as a nursing home death. Underestimate. He made sure he got underestimated. And and it, we'll go back. You know, you know, we're gonna have a quick a break here, and then we're gonna continue this because here's the crux of the story. It's not just that he did this; he changed the definition, but he lied to his own legislature about what was going on, about the numbers, and his own staff basically admitted. Well, we kept everything a secret because we were being investigated by the Trump administration. Yeah. Mr. Tom Donaldson. Yeah. 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 With uh, Kyle Hester here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We're back here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, don't forget, we do have a new website, the BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com. You can go on there, get all of our great uh, past uh, stories, past shows, including this one. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, this show will be a party to it. And we, like I said, I'm going to I, I, I said one, you know, I made my points about Kumo, but I do want to get on the line, eyewitness account, her own experience, Coco Conti. Coco, how was your vaccine shot? So, um, I drove two hours, and I got there, um, because where I'm located in Burbank, they have zero vaccines. That includes for people over 65. We're just really not getting any supplies right now. Um, the only people that have it really are Rite Aid. And um, I couldn't go there. So I get there. And then they tell me they're out. <laughs> so, unfortunately, I did not get it. Um, I wasted wow. a four-hour trip. Um but they basically told me to call in next week. All right. All right. So, uh, I guess I did, so did they have an appointment set up or did you just go catch it? Yeah. Like, well, basically they told me like to call to see if they have any and I did. And so I was booked for an appointment, but then 
something happened and that they didn't have me set down. So whoever I talked to actually never really booked me, um, yeah. which sucks, which sucks. I'm okay. Um, like I said, I really don't go out much. Um, other than, you know, I am going out. My birthday is on Monday, so um, I will be going out to Morton's. But I won't be dining indoors because we just open indoor dining, and I, I'm not doing that until I get vaccinated. I said that from the very beginning. Um, but I will be going outdoors. Um, it's just kind of weird, you know? It's kind of weird. Because, you know, I don't know. For this is the thing with indoor dining. It's like I don't know who has been vaccinated. You know, and I'm not, I'm really not going to chance that. Just my yeah. personal preference. Um, but yeah. hoping in the next two weeks, I will be getting vaccinated. Um, I qualify because of my asthma. Um, but I, I have been hospitalized for asthma. So that was like their big thing was that people who have been hospitalized or that they're, they've had asthma basically their whole lives, like I have, can go through uh, phase 1B or phase, sorry, phase 1C, which includes epileptics, um, basically anybody with an autoimmune issue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, I'm going to say I had my two shots. And, right. And I would say this, for the most part, uh, I tolerated it very well. I got a sore arm. For about 24 well, yeah, hours. that's like the biggest complaint because I have a neighbor of yeah. mine who got her from – she got Moderna, though. And yeah. she said, like, she was, like, totally fine. The only thing that happened was, like, she had a little bit of a sore arm. But that was basically about it. Yeah. And and the thing is that – yeah, here's the thing. I, I want to kind of talk to people about this because this is going to be – I'm wondering how big of a story this is going to become in the U.S. Because in Europe, they've shut down oh, – Right now, as of this morning, they had shut down in some of the countries AstraZeneca's vaccine because of blood clots. And because of what? A blood clots. Possible oh, blood, blood clots. Yeah. 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 But is well, that something that you would think, like, if you have, if you're prone to them or, like, you're at risk for them? Yeah. Like, what about those people? Well, I, again, I the, the, the answer to your question, I'm not, you know, I, I can't say, you know, what, you know, if that's the case or not. What I do know is that it's kind of interesting because this one guy on Twitter I, fo- I follow, you know, you know, he's pretty sharp, but he's really on a anti-vaccine kick, you know, basically talking the vaccine down and using all this data, and that's Alan Alex Bernstein. But when I look at the data, it's like, okay, you got millions of doses. And we're talking about side effects in the hundreds. And in the case of Europe, you know, there's this other extra deal, namely, this is a British product. And the EU bureaucrats, basically, my view is they want to stick it to Great Britain because of Brexit. That's my view. Because if you look at the side effect profile, it's not much different than Pfizer or Madonna here in the U.S. And and I've always, you know, right. people have asked me, you know, to me, you know, we're going to say, you know, this is a first-generation vaccine. Uh, it's a miracle we were able to get it as quickly as we did. 
But this was an oh, effort. Oh, for sure. I thought we were going to have to wait like two years. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I thought we were going to have to wait like another two years. Well, that's that was the yeah that was the whole thing. That's but basically what it came down to. The previous administration said, "Look, we're going to warp. We're going to push this thing as quickly as possible because the risks yeah, and, and benefits." Yeah, and uh, and that was yeah you know, to me that's the key element. And what I'm going to say is going to be interesting to see the story comes out because when you got okay, well, we got a hundred million vaccines in the United States. If we're talking side effects in the hundreds, that means the odds are in your favor not that you're going to be safe. That's just my view. And, oh yeah, give me my shot. Let's let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Again, I, mean, not... I don't know if you – I mean, I don't know, Kyle, like, because, like, you're, you're from L.A., but anybody who who is, is qualified to get the vaccine, you have to go to Ventura. That's – do you know how far Ventura is? You have to go to Ventura to get the shot? Yeah. That's where they're sending everybody. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, Tom doesn't know yeah. how far Ventura it is from Burbank. It's, like, it's yeah. literally, like, two hours. Yeah. Well, I tell you, in Iowa, what we did, I mean, what's happening in my area is that the medical groups are the ones pretty much handling it. Uh, you know, we have two medical groups, Mercy and Unity. And and they're the right. ones, you know, that they've done is like, you know, and they got pretty good records. They'll say, Mr. Donaldson, you're 67 years old. Uh, it's your turn. And you go in and, you know, you set up an appointment. You know, they make sure there's enough vaccine to set the appointment up. You know, and and that's what they did. Then they went ahead and rescheduled your second appointment. You know, twenty one days out, right. which is what, and you know, that's, and it worked very nice and smoothly. And I'm going to say this, uh, you know, what I noticed on the side effect side of the equation is, you know, you're there for about, I'm going to say, you know, they make you wait fifteen to twenty minutes, and. And I can tell you, like, you know, like two days you know, when I got my second vaccine, I mean, literally, there's like 30 people in the hallway. Uh, right. And, and only one, and I can remember one person basically saying, you know, that they had a headache. And so they basically took her aside into another room. But that's it. Everybody else seemed to be tolerating it pretty well. So, yeah, for what it's worth, type of department. All right. We've got some quick stories here. Uh and so this is uh, – I'm going to view this as karma. Uh-oh. Rooster fitted with blade for cockfighting kills its owner. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of uh, funny. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like – Rooster fitted with a knife for an illegal cockfighting in southern India, killed his owner, uh, and obviously, and they had, I guess the bird had the knife attached to his leg. Are you serious? Uh, yeah. Thanks. They had the knife. Well, yeah, part, like, if you think about it, Tom, there have been crabs. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there was, like, this crab who um, – got hold of a knife and he was in a seafood market and he was like people were like so freaked out because he was like walking with this like like 12 inch blade 
Like, it happens. Especially if they have claws, like, they're going to grab onto stuff. Same with raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Killer crabs. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw that. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. All right. Here's the other story. Naked oh, naked man steals cruiser at least. Now, this is a Nebraska story. Leads Omaha police on a chase. The headline describes the entire episode. Well, I, I would say that that's got to be a, a drug-induced situation because that doesn't sound very normal to me. But uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, this is the other story. Yeah, here's the other story. A guy – I don't know if you caught this story. A gentleman gets goes to a, you know, a, a, a car dealership, gets a used you – know, gets a loaner car to test out, robs the bank, and then goes back and tries to buy a BMW with the money he stole and that he stole, driving the loaner car. Well, that doesn't well, shock me. I mean, people are stupid. Yeah. People are incredibly dumb, Tom. Like, what can I say? I know. It, I, know say? It's I like... have a story for you. I have kind of a crazy okay. story for you. Okay. Um, so, I I got Discovery Plus because I'm, like, an insane freak. Hold on a second. an earthquake totally not an earthquake it's just my washing machine went on overload um okay I was about to it wonder. sounded like someone was breaking down my house it was not <laughs> um but i got discovery plus like when it first launched because i was like well it's like five dollars a month and it has over fifty five thousand shows i'm pretty sure i can find something i want to watch and i i swear to god tom i literally have not left that app in four months like i haven't watched any regular tv Nothing in those four months since I got Discovery. And there's a show that I was watching called Nature Gone Wild, I guess is the name of the show. And they had the most insane, insane videos. Like, they, there was one video of this guy in Alaska. He was kayaking, or he was on a boat. And there was an otter and an orca. Um, those two are not friends. Those two are basically like dinner for each other. And, um, what the, what the otter did was he swam about 30 miles to where the boat guy's boat was hopped on the boat and you see the orca coming close to the boat. Like it touches the boat. And when you see stuff like that, you're just like, I don't know if I would have believed it if I didn't see it, you know? So, um, and I, I just I love I love nature shows. I just love watching like these crazy, crazy, crazy nature shows. Like if you yeah. see a glacier that's breaking down, don't go swim towards it like these people did because you <laughs> I will know, die. Right? <laughs> you will die. You will die. This guy was like they're kayaking again in Alaska and they see this glacier and they're like, Oh look, it's breaking off. Let's go closer to examine. And literally all the glacier starts breaking and what it, what it happens is that it creates basically a mini tsunami and these guys got like hit with it. So my advice is if you see something crazy like nature wise, like you don't you don't F with Mother Nature. Like and you don't no go towards the glacier that's breaking. <laughs> FYI. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of, okay, how about you, Carl? Do you have any strange stories from Louisiana? Uh, you know, I've been I've been waiting to see an, an alligator, but uh, I went on a nature walk um, with my wife Ooh. Tracy, um, and it's like this this uh, planked wooden walkway over like the marsh. You know, so it's like you're you're like over the water and like the the grass, you know, and um, so we're just walking along. And then all of a sudden, uh, my wife like jumps. Oh, my God. And she like and she looks down and there was a beaver like right there. Like and, and she said, like, turned up and it looked at her like they made like eye contact. And then like it, and it, it rolled off and swam away. So. That was a. This was about a week ago. That so first time in the wild. Oh my goodness! A beaver. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so awesome. Yeah, I would say I've seen one. I was in South Carolina. I saw a gator. The only time I ever saw a gator, and it was like delicious. Gators I'm, are so delicious. Oh, they're they so are yummy. Very good. They are yummy. They're very delicious. Uh, <laughs> and, and and unfortunately, they think that uh, dogs, cats, and humans are just equally as yummy to them. So, it's a competition. I see what's happening here. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, here's the, I mean, uh, my favorite story. I mean, I, I got so many stories. But I, I remember my sister-in-law lives in Florida. And I said, yeah, yeah, they have the sign, don't leave your cats and dogs, you know, unattended. So I said, hey, I noticed that they, you know, you know they're kind of making sure that you guys uh, keep your dogs on a leash or something like that. And she looked at me and said, no, they want you to make sure that they don't become dinner for the gators. The gators like that. Mm. <laughs> well, interesting like, enough, um, you, you bring that up. Interesting enough, there there's a place in Florida, and there's a gator. It's like it's like part of like Nate. It's like he belongs to the lake basically, and his best friend is a dog. Like the dog greets him every morning, and you know, so there are exceptions for animals to get along it's extremely rare it doesn't happen often but it does exist in the world hmm. all right all right we got a few minutes left so uh, uh i'm gonna do two quick things here first of all number one uh, kyle i'm gonna give you about a couple of minutes here and give me your impressions of the biden administration your view what you like don't like and go from there and then afterwards uh just go ahead and tell very briefly about where people can contact you. Go. All right. I was, the stimulus act that he just passed, I think, is going to affect so many people on such a wide range of ways that uh, it, it, he's taking his little tour, you know, talking about it and whatnot. I think that this is going to really change things for the better. And um, I, I can't wait to see what else he does. So. I'm all about it. You know, keep it going. Infrastructure next. Let's get some highways and bridges and, and dams and stuff like that and, and get people working. And uh, But where you can find me is you can find me on Twitter at Kyle D. Hesser. Look up Kyle Hesser on YouTube. And um, and I'm also on those films on, on Amazon Prime and Tubi. So just uh, Google me and you will find me. But I'm mostly on Twitter. Okay. Why are you Tell everybody about the films that you do have available. You got, you mentioned two at the beginning, so mention those films so people, when, when they go to Amazon, you know they'll know what they're looking for. You can uh, look up the chair with uh, Roddy Piper. That'd be the easiest way to find it. Um, that's a it's a horror film, and also Zombie with a Shotgun. 
Yeah, you can zombie with a shotgun. Um, you can look that up through just the name as well. And Preacher Six is the one that I have that uh, we'll talk about later. That uh, I will be finishing that here shortly. Excellent. All right. Yeah, excellent. All right, listen, thank you, Kyle, for coming back on the show. Appreciate it. And uh, uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Donaldson Files at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, This is Tom Donaldson, Coco Konski, and our guest, Kyle Hester, for coming on the show and joining us. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night. Welcome, everyone, to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. As always, we are glad that you have tuned in for another exciting show uh, on the You and the Law podcast show. So we want to welcome everyone to to the show, and uh, hopefully everybody is having a great day. And um, we've got an exciting show for for our listeners, as, as usual, and uh, we're going to have on a guest that's going to be joining us uh, later on in the show. It's, it's going to be um, Dr. Lorenzo Boyd, who is a um, just a, a great guy who is uh, very well uh, educated in the field of, uh, of law enforcement, and he's going to be coming on as we talk with him about is there a pathway to police reform? And so um, – my co-host is going to also be joining joining me uh, here pretty shortly, but uh, we uh, this is a topic that we hope, uh, as always, we get a lot of uh, feedback from our listeners, uh, and we want to remind you, if this is your first time listening to uh, You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the call-in number is 646-929-0130. And uh, we want to remind you that you can follow us on our social media platform. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And you can follow us on Twitter. And uh, just go and to those uh, platforms and like our page and follow us as we always update our social media platforms with current things that's going on. And uh, we just want to make sure that we are informing uh, our listeners about things that's going on uh, with uh, with you and the law, and uh, this show is is geared toward uh, providing you with uh, some information about what your rights are when you're dealing with law enforcement. Coming from two law enforcement uh, experts who've been in the field for uh, well over 30 years, so we uh, feel that we have a uh, we're pretty 
well uh, versed in the field of uh, law enforcement, and uh, uh, we want to make sure that we're providing you with uh, information that uh, is going to be valuable and useful to you. So, again, um, and if you miss any parts of this show, we want to remind you that you can follow. You can go to the thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, and that's thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, and click on the uh, icon "You and the Law," and you can catch out uh, catch our previous shows, and you can catch this show if you miss this show and. Uh, there is a variety of shows that have been uh, put on the uh, website, so you can check out those shows. And uh, uh, But also we want to make sure that if you have a, any comments or feedback or <clears throat> any topics that you would like for us to, to discuss, uh, feel free to uh, send us a message, and uh, we will definitely get those uh, <clears throat> get to those messages. But as always, you know, if you do call into the show, you um, uh, you will uh, the producer will ask you if you have a comment or if you'd like to come on air, and uh, we will uh, get to your questions and uh, make sure that you come on the air and talk with us and uh, uh, just let us know what's on your mind. But again, we're just glad that everybody has uh, tuned in and. Uh, is going to listen to a great topic that we're going to be talking about. Uh, is there a pathway forward to uh, uh, policing at, is in the height of everything that's been going on? So, uh, again, uh, we're going to be joined by the, the producer of the show, L.A., uh, who's going to kind of sit in with me uh, as we um, – wait for my uh, co-host and our guest to come on the show. So, L.A., how you doing today, sir? Doing well, well uh, uh, Virgil. Good to be here. Um, uh, we, we're going to take a uh, a quick um, pause and, and come back, and, and you can um, uh, get into more of uh, your topic and give the information okay. again. Okay. All right. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us on you and the law.
conversation of uh, is there a pathway forward to police reform you're listening to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network
back to you on the law on the Bastion News Radio Network and WCOM and Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us, press 1 to get on the line with uh, uh, Chief Virgil Green and uh, Chief Keith Humphrey and and their guests. And uh, speaking of which, I turn it back over to you, Virgil Green. All right. Well, hey, we want to welcome everyone back to you and the Law on the Bastion News Radio Network. And today we're going to be talking uh, with a special guest who's going to be joining us pretty shortly, uh, Dr. Lorenzo Boyd, about is there a pathway to uh, police reform? And uh, as everyone knows, there's been so much that has happened between the police and the minority community, and uh, there is definitely uh, an urgent need for police reform and but what does police reform look like? And so uh, that's something that we're going to be um, having this conversation and seeing that pathway forward. Um, how can, uh, what will police reform look like and what so many cities uh, are doing and how police departments are actually going to uh, include uh, community uh, partnerships uh and how they're going to engage with those uh, communities to uh, as they work through police reform. And so, you know, as we know that uh, there's there's definitely a, a need for police reform. And over the past 30, 30 years, there's uh, there's been a growing awareness of the importance of community perception of to effective policing and uh, law enforcement agencies. Uh, you know, we've created community police partnerships and engaged in dialogue with uh, community leaders uh, in these efforts uh, at the community-oriented policing have have shown us that police can cannot do their jobs well without strong uh, relationships between the police and the communities they serve. And so uh, hopefully, you know, we will definitely have uh, a lot more involvement between the minority community uh, and and their local police departments from around the country, and also dealing with organizations, uh, you know, whether it be Black Lives Matter, NAACP, or whatever grassroots organizations that are out there that can uh, have a voice uh, as uh, there's a pathway to uh, police reform. And so, you know, but one of the things that, you know, we need to be mindful of, and even those of us who are in law enforcement, is that when you hear about situations that just occurred in Louisiana where five state troopers um, uh, have been uh, charged with uh, an incident that, that took place, and which is a very disturbing incident, and the fact that... Um, you know, it it just feathers the, the the strain that so many uh, people in the in the especially in the minority community, where there's just no trust for uh, police, and so some people will will have the attitude, no matter what you do or what you say, we're just not going to trust anything that that happens uh, or anything that you try to do especially when you have a group of uh, troopers who uh, were text messaging about uh, uh, 
an incident that took place with with somebody that they were chasing and that basically was almost kind of like, hey, when we get this person, we're going to, you know, really, really put it to him. We're going to make him sore. And so I think as a result of that, the, the this gentleman lost his life. And so when those type of things happen and we do have this conversation about what is the pathway forward to uh, uh, to police reform, those are those are some of the conversations that will come up uh, as to what does what does police reform look like? And so we're gonna jump over to uh, I believe our, our guest, uh, Dr. Lorenzo Boy, is, has joined us, and I believe um, uh, my co-host is going to join us here pretty pretty soon, but. Uh, Dr. Boyd, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Chief. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Glad uh, for you to come on and join us uh, for this uh, important topic that uh, that we're going to be talking with our listeners about. And um, But before we uh, jump into th- this topic, um, why don't you kind of let us tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself and what do you do and... and, and uh, more about uh, Dr. Boyd. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I, I started uh, my law enforcement career uh, in 1988. I spent uh, 15 years as a, uh, a sheriff's deputy and then went through uh, grad school, uh, got a PhD, and the last 20 years of my career, I've been a policing scholar. I do a lot of research on urban policing, and I've been a criminal justice professor. And uh, currently, I serve as the vice president for diversity and inclusion at the University of New Haven in Connecticut. But I still do a lot of uh, police training. I work with uh, police uh, departments across the country. And some years, I do as much as 250, 300 hours of training with police agencies. But I also work with uh, local and state municipalities when they're trying to come up with legislation to do police reform. I tend to be one of the people that comes in to tries to tries to tell them what makes sense and what doesn't make sense because there are some legislators that go way too far and they try to be way too punitive uh, on the police and then on the other hand there are some legislators that just kowtow to unions and try to do as little as possible so I try to walk in and uh and you know make headway between the two and the bulk of my training, I build bridges between the police and communities, more importantly, between the police and the communities of color. So uh, that's what I've been doing for the last two decades. Okay. All right. Well, again, I, you know, when we talked about uh, having you come on the, sh- on the show, and one of the things that we wanted to talk about was, is there a pathway forward to police reform? And, you know, some people will, will probably say, you know, have be negative about it, and and then there's going to be some who will say that uh, there is a pathway forward to police reform, and um, and so what what is your uh, opinion on the pathway to police reform? Well, the short answer is yes. There is absolutely a pathway forward, but the pathway forward starts with looking at the past. We have to acknowledge 
what's happened in the past before we can move forward. Just think about being in a relationship with somebody, somebody that uh, that feels like you wronged them, whether or not you think you did. If somebody feels like they were wronged and then you say, okay, it's time to heal and move forward, that doesn't work until there's some level of acknowledgement. And my kudos mm-hmm. goes out to uh, to Chief Terry Cunningham when he was the president of the International Association of Chiefs of Police in October of 2016 in San Diego. I was in the room when he gave a um, an apology on behalf of policing, and he acknowledged the historic mistreatment of communities of color. And a lot of people mm-hmm. were really upset and uh, walked away, but we yeah. can't discount the true history of policing. There's been a history and cycle of mistrust between the police and the community. And, and policing is a noble profession. You know, I, I was really appreciative while I was on the job. But we have, we have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of bad stuff that has happened for a lot of years to a lot of people. And then when we talk about uh, policing and the history of policing, everybody wants to point back to Sir Robert Peel in 1828 when he started the London Metropolitan Police. But we acknowledge that policing in this country started much before that. We've had uh, people going back to 1704 in South Carolina with slave patrols. So ever since black and brown people were brought to this country, there's been a negative relationship between them and the police. So if we can acknowledge that and acknowledge that not everything before us was nice, then that's a, that's a, that's a pathway forward. Because in order for us to go forward, we have to be both diagnostic and prescriptive. The diagnostic part is acknowledging that bad stuff has happened, and the prescriptive part is figuring out a pathway forward, and that pathway forward is not necessarily community policing because that puts the onus on the police. It's community engagement. We need police officers and community members together in the same room having conversations. Yeah. Well, you make some definitely good points, uh, Dr. Boyd, and you know, one of the things I want to ask you once we come out of this break, you know, when he made that uh, uh, apology, what did that apology really mean and, and how did law enforcement take it? But we're going to uh, take a quick break, uh, Dr. Board, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bassett of News Radio Network.
welcome back to the You and the Law broadcast on the Basket News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, of course, uh, on the, the website, the rebroadcast, if you go to our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. If you missed this broadcast, you can go there. And uh, 646-929-0130 is the number to get in touch with us. And keep in mind, the chat room is open. If you have any questions, you can definitely hit us there or hit us up on the You and the Law uh, Facebook page with questions, too. I do have a question for... Uh, Dr. Boyd, first of all, um, it, it's a small world because I'm actually from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, and and yeah. born and raised. And um, I actually have a nephew that uh, just belonged, uh, just joined the force um, la- late last year. Um, just so small world. But my question to you, as you said, we have to look back before we can go forward. Is that something that needs to happen in terms of the education, not with just white law enforcement, but young black law enforcement to understand the history. I mean, uh, just like any other history, black history we have and, and all the inventions and the things that we've done in this country to build this country that we don't get the credit for. Um, there's so much history that young, the young black law enforcement seems to need to know as well white um, to, to have that continuity. Is that something that you, you think would be a good thing? I think all people that are in policing need to uh, understand the history because a lot of history is actually spoken history. So when you talk about the history, the negative history between the police and people of color, if we just go back to the 1960s when black and brown people were, were marching and protesting just for the right to vote, we saw what happened in Bloody Sunday in Alabama. We saw all over the country. So the 1960s wasn't that long ago. So many of the young people that the police are dealing with in the street now, their parents were part of or were alive when the stuff happened in the 1960s. So a lot of the parents are telling young people, you can't trust the police because this is what the police did to us, or this is what the police have done to others. So we need to understand that history just so we can understand the level of mistrust because you don't get respect just by simply putting on the uniform. Respect is something that has to be earned every single day by every single officer. Yeah, I I just want to be clear, um, and uh, Virgil, I do apologize. I just want to follow up. Oh, you're fine. So, well, um, uh, I guess just so I I have clarification, what I meant was when you have a black – officer and a white officer coming up through the ranks through the academy and everything should they both know the history of policing and the communities so they can have a better humanity and understanding for these communities in particular like Virgil said um, communities of color absolutely black officers need to know that as well because there's something that happens with the police uniform that most other uniforms don't give you that level of color cover Because once you put on the uniform, you become more blue than anything else to the community. So it doesn't matter to me if I think my police are aggressive. It doesn't matter if it's a black officer or a white officer if the police are aggressive. So we also need black officers to understand as well the negative relationships that uh, that have happened in the past. 
Well, and you know, just to uh, jump in, I want you know that is a good point, Dr. Boyd, because oftentimes uh, black police officers kind of forget where they come from, and uh, often you see so many black officers who they see uh, other police officers, you know, violating somebody's rights, but they don't step up right then and say anything about it. They just kind of go along with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, that black person is looking and saying, well, hey, we look alike, but you're not saying anything. And so, uh, and I think that's something that, uh, especially in this era that you have uh, a lot of young people who are getting into law enforcement they may not even have learned anything coming up through school with the history of what took place in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And so they're just kind of, you know, not in tune with it. But I think it is it is just as equal important that black, uh, young black men and women understand the profession that they're getting into and how they can uh, work towards making some changes in a profession that we all care about, but, but also don't fall to the, the culture of law enforcement. Agreed. Agreed. It's really important that everybody understands the culture, but they also need to understand that policing for the right person is a wonderful career opportunity. It's an opportunity that people can really make a difference but you got to get the right person in there and they need to be willing to be authentic in the stuff that they do. So there is a pathway forward, but it starts with, with training. And we can talk about training, uh, you know, in a minute, but we need to start from a point where we acknowledge the negative stuff that happened. And based on the question that was asked earlier, when chief Cunningham made the apology, there were a lot of really angry police officers, Oh yeah, and a bunch of people walked out of the room. So I asked several people, you know, why why did this bother you so much? And they said because it's pointing a negative uh, finger and what about us and what about the stuff that we're doing? But mm-hmm. at no point did Chief Cunningham say that Virgil did this or Keith did this. He didn't. He just said the history of policing factually is in fact an ugly history. Mm-hmm. Once we acknowledge that, we can move forward. That's where the healing begins because you can't beat people down and then the next day pretend the beat down never happened. You need to acknowledge that this happened and let's move forward, particularly the officers that are, that are trying to build bridges in the community. It's really okay to say in the past those were bad things, but we're doing something different moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, uh, we want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning in uh, to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, we've got on uh, today special guest, uh, Dr. Lorenzo Boyd, and we're talking about uh, is there a pathway to police reform? And we want to remind you that the uh, uh, chat room is open if you've got uh, some questions or comments. Uh, and if you're just on the line listening, uh, we thank you for being on the line listening to another great topic uh, that we're talking about. Um, And again, Dr. Boyd, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, 
the do you think that there is a difficult path to changing police in America? Well, let, let me start by saying it's not just the police that needs to change. And I think mm-hmm. part of the problem that we have is we hang the onus on the police that they have to do the changing, but it's not the police necessarily. We need to change society. And the police mm-hmm. are just a representation of the society that they're in. And, I mean, let, let's admit, society uses police as a social dumpster to handle everything that they don't want to deal with, the folks that are addicted, the people that have mental health issues, the people that have family issues, the people that have domestic violence issues. Everybody is dropped into that police have to fix it, but yet we're only giving the police eight hours of training a year to do all of this stuff, and then we're upset at the police because they can't get it right. So Mm -hmm. if we pull back some of this stuff, if we bring certain things back to social – back to social workers and if we give some stuff back to uh, mental health workers and have them do the stuff that they can do, stop making everything a policing thing, and then the police can go back to – policing. And again, notice I use the term policing, and I tend not to use the term law enforcement because enforcing criminal laws as it applies to index crime is only about 20% of what the police actually do. And Mm -hmm. the most of the stuff that the police do, they do service and they do administrative stuff. So calling them police is uh, the paradigm shift that I think is going to change. Remember, policing is proactive and law enforcement is reactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you make a good point, especially about uh, policing. We, for for so many decades, have always a lot of the things that occur, uh, whether it be related to mental health, whether it be related to whatever is going on in 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 in, in a community. Uh, people call the police because they said, you know, hey, we want you to come out here. We want you to fix this problem. And uh, uh, we want you to resolve it. And so a lot of those things police officers are not really trained on. And as you made a point, is that oftentimes police officers only get eight hours of of training in some areas, and they're not fully uh, trained in those areas of dealing with everything. And so those are things that, that really needs to change, whether it's through department policy or through legislation. But uh, oftentimes we're seeing police officers do things that they're not fully uh, trained to deal with, and then there's this outcry from the public when, when things don't go right. But, uh, Dr. Boyd, uh, I've got uh, my uh, co-host has finally joined us on the show, and uh, we want to uh, welcome uh, Chief Swag to the show. How you doing today, brother? What's going on, Virgil, L.A.? Hey, go mob. Hey, Dr. Oh, Boyd, my you man. Know my How you doing? Oh, yeah. What's oh, going how you on, doing, Fred? You know about the mob, man. Hey, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Good. Had a, um, had a council meeting, man, try to try to get some more funds for the police department, and everything went well. So sorry about the delay. Oh, excellent, man, no excellent. Problem, We're just having a, a great conversation with uh, Dr. Boyd in, in L.A., and our listeners about this, uh, this great topic of uh, – uh, is there a pathway forward to police reform? And so, um, you know, uh, Keith, you know, this is, you know, uh, uh, 
something that is definitely a, a conversation that needs to be had within law enforcement and in the community because, again, you know, this is something that's going to take both police and the community to really work on and not just the police issue. You know, let, well, me, let me mention, when, when we talk about, one sec, Keith, when we talk about training, a lot of the trainings that I do with municipalities, for the first couple of hours, I try to bring community members into the training as well, because it's really important that the police understand the lived experience of the people that they're policing. Once you mm-hmm. affect the arrest and drive away, what happens to that family, what happens to that neighborhood, what happens to that community, that really matters. We want the police to understand that. But the thing that's equally as important, we need community members to understand the job that the police are trying to do. If we can get the community to understand that the police come in and you only give them part of the information and then you seem really aggressive, they're trying to solve an issue. If we can get community members to see the tough job that the police have as we're trying to get the police to see the lived experience of the community members, that type of training, I think, is going to go a long way. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, we're uh, getting ready to come up uh, on our next break, uh, but we want to remind our listeners that, uh, you know, the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. We're going to take this break, and we're going to come back with Dr. Boric and continue our conversation about is there a pathway forward to police reform. You're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. WCOM, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And again, you are listening to the show. If you missed any part of the broadcast, listen to the rebroadcast at their page at the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Follow them on their Facebook page as well. Did get a, a question to, um, I guess, your, you guys, uh, Virgil and, and Keith and and to uh, Dr. Boyd, uh, came, comes from Anthony in Hartford, which, again, I'm familiar with. I'm sure Dr. Boyd is, too, uh, who said, as long as the, the um, police do not change the infrastructure of, of the, the uh, municipalities, then nothing will change. Uh, he went on to say, you still have police um, that are still active police that blame the incident will which killed a police officer 
uh, on January 6th on Black Lives Matter and all this other. So the division is there, I guess he's saying. And until that changes, until, um, you know, some of the uh, the internal, even the higher up change, nothing will change. And I'll go, I'll go on to, to add that you can't, you can't police, no pun intended, a person's heart. So you got to hit them somewhere else because people will go through the training, but they still hate black people. You know what I mean? So it's got to be something more than just saying, okay, you know, it's just about the training. It's got to be something else, maybe some additional uh, psychological. I don't know, but it's just, he he brings up a good point. I I thought um, Virgil Keith and Dr. Boyd. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Remember, there's no panacea. You know, there's been negative relationships for 400 years. There's not going to be any one training that's going to do it. But uh, the more we can get police officers and community members together in the same space, you know, talking and communicating, that's the beginning of moving forward. Part of the problem is we're not screening for issues of bias in policing. Because as we know, there's still a lot of white supremacy that's in policing, and that's not something that I don't think any training is going to do. But most police officers aren't like that. A significant number of police officers, if given the right tools, are going to try to do the right thing. And those are the ones we need to start trying to reach. And the chiefs need to start weeding out the officers that are the really bad officers so that way the good officers can continue to do their job. Yeah, well, well, you know, you know I, I want to let me let, let me say this real quick, and th- I think the processes are there. I mean, I, I don't I don't think there's any more. You, but with the exception of what uh, Dr. Boyd said, we do need that continual process of those those bias, implicit explicit bias processes. They need to be ongoing. Uh, you don't just give people those tests at the beginning of their careers. We need to figure out a way, how do you do that? Uh, because there's a lot of people, black and white, a lot of police officers carrying implicit biases, which can, we all know that can transition into explicit bias uh, if you're not very careful. And so we've got to find out ways to implement those. And the other, and the other thing is we've got to just start, We've got to start um, some serious progressive discipline on these individuals. Uh, when they do things, when, when we find out that these individuals are members of uh, of, um, of hate groups, uh, when we find out that they're doing um, uh, committing crimes, uh, we, we've got to stop playing with them and giving them, you know, a written reprimand or a day off here. Uh, we've got to be more progressive and, 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 and um, start – uh, separating, cutting ties with those individuals, uh, that sends a stronger message uh, at times. Now, we have no control over what happens once that individual is uh, disciplined because there are appeal rights. But we've done our jobs uh, as as police chiefs. The, the system beyond that needs to be fixed. Yeah, and, and, and the point I was going to make up, you know, something we've talked about often on the show is, you know, the – the 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 FOP the police unions and I think with 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 everything that is going on and I think that's why so many people don't feel that there's going to be any change because you've got the unions that who are 
school are doing everything they can to uh, make sure that these officers keep their job, which everybody is entitled to due process. Uh, but you've got the, so many unions who come out in strong, strong support when it's so obvious that an officer uh, has violated uh, a person's civil rights, but you don't hear the union saying anything like that. So, uh, Dr. Well, Gord, I think that's... Well, Virgil, go ahead, also, well, Virgil, let me say this. And, and as a police chief, you got to negotiate everything. Uh, yeah. Everything's in the contract. You got to negotiate when you can talk to somebody. You got to negotiate what type of training they go to. You got to negotiate hours. You got to negotiate promotions. You got to negotiate discipline. There's just so many things that 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 ties your hands. But but that, those are part of the problems too. And I think the citizens need to know you've got police chiefs and police supervisors, and you've got officers that want to do the right thing. And you've got officers out there that are reporting these individuals for doing the things that they do. But sometimes your hands are so tied based on contracts, state law, uh, uh, and, and those are things. You know, it's pretty bad when a person's uh, discipline is tied to a state statute. That, that, that's right. kind of bad. That takes yeah. a little bit. That's bad when you got a process you you got to go through. And if you miss one step in that process, no matter what a person has done, when you've missed one step, and if you miss one little step, one little period, one little I dotted, then that process could out overrule the decision you made on discipline up to termination. They could get their job based on back on based on that uh, that technicality. Those are the things that's hurting us in law enforcement. Those are the mm-hmm. things that are hurting police chiefs. You're tying their hands on a lot of stuff, and, and then when people get on TV, you have. Like let's, let's, I don't want I don't want to dumb it, but I I gotta say this. Think about the situation in in um, with Breonna Taylor. Okay, mm-hmm. you've got an officer <laughs> who 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 basically says, I, "Hey, listen, this isn't this isn't on the same magnitude." Yeah, this young lady was killed, but it's not on the same magnitude as George Floyd. Come on, man. You still have a young lady who's deceased at the hands yeah. of law enforcement. So don't try to minimize the fact that this young lady's dead and try to compare the two. No, it may not have been the same amount of force, and it may not have been the same scenario, but at the end of the day, it's the same end result. Yeah, you know. I think that is what is – and I think when people hear that, and it's just like, you know, where where is this guy's mind at when he said that? And the fact that that just that's another thing that uh, when when a black person hears that and they're going to sit there and they're going to shake their head and say, man, it's it's it never ends when you have an individual like that who makes a comment uh, and really obviously doesn't really have any remorse for what took place with Breonna Taylor. Uh, or to the fact that they don't even have any remorse for what took place with George Floyd. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't get on TV and say, "Oh, well, you know, I should be treated differently." I mean, you can't get on TV. I mean, I don't know, man. It's it, it's it's the fact of, like you say, I think we do a lot of damage ourselves, and that those things overshadow the the positive things that we do. Um, you know, I, I, uh-huh. I don't think we really know. I really, you know, Lorenzo, 
I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I don't think we really know how to do our job. I don't think sometimes we really know what our job's about. You broke it down a few minutes ago. There's a difference between policing and different, <laughs> a difference between actual policing, and I think you said law enforcement. There's law a difference enforcement. between the yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the thing that the community wants and you want community buy in, but the community is looking for levels of accountability. They want anyone who commits a crime to be brought to justice, regardless of who that person is. And the cry of the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter is not anti-police at all, the pro accountability. And yeah. they decry any time when black lives are lost and the killer is not brought to justice because statistically if the victim of a homicide is black they're less likely the killer is less likely to be brought to justice so it doesn't matter if the person's a drunk driver or a bad doctor or a dentist or an errant cop whoever it is needs to be brought to justice and that's what we're talking about and the fact that police officers that are in the wrong that kill people aren't brought to justice at nearly the same level. So all people are asking for is levels of accountability. And if we can do that, then we can go back to the table and say, okay, now let's talk about levels of equity because now I see people are being treated the right way. Well, you know, Lorenzo, and I've said this, I think people understand that in our line of work, there is that possibility, sometimes probability, that we might you, we're going to have to use force up to deadly force. And I don't right. think anybody, whether they're no matter what ethnicity they are, believe that there's a police officer doing their job that may not have to utilize that those levels. But I think, and I've said this over and over again, when you tell people, when people see a uh, person die in front of them uh, for almost nine minutes, You've got your knee on somebody's neck, and you have options. This man is this man is screaming for his mama, screaming, "I can't breathe," and it's and it's as though you don't have a soul, and it's and it's like you're enjoying this. You got your hands in your pocket, you're looking around, you're smirking. It's not it's 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 it's, it's, it's as if someone is is, is uh, uh you're dehumanizing a person. That's what makes people angry. I think yes. I think that's that's what makes people angry. The fact that you're and you're telling me you didn't see what you really saw. Yeah, he was using force, but it wasn't deadly force. You know, if you look at the letter of the law, that's really not deadly force. He was doing this because this person was aggressive. Okay, I'm gonna explain this to everybody. He may have been resistant. I'm I'm not saying he was, I'm not saying what he may have been resistant initially. But you gotta look at your approach. And then you've got to look at the fact that once you get this person under control, they are no longer – then your, their level of force has to uh, de-escalate. And, and so what? now you can't tell the American community, you can't tell America that, oh, well, I continue to fear for my safety, so that's why I put my knee on his neck. That's where we get, that's where we get in trouble. That's where we lose faith and trust. Yeah, well, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say this real quick, Keith. Uh, I never saw where George, where George Floyd put up any kind of resistance. Uh, I think the officers embellished that and said that there was a resistance, but I think when you look at uh, all the, the frames of video that, that's been put out there, I, you just don't see him uh, 
putting him where the officer had to use some type of force. So, uh, but well, uh, let me Virgil, let me say this: we just got a question from Rob, and he wants to say, why don't we criticize groups that incite um, that incite violence toward the police and destroy? We do. We talk about what happened at the at the Capitol. We talk about what happened in Charlottesville. We talk about what's happened when you have groups like Antifa and they bring people in uh, purposely to incite things. We talk about that. We talk about you do have individuals that try to fall under the umbrella of Black Lives Matter, and they have no desire to be peaceful. They have no desire to come to the table, but they'll say they're members of Black Lives Matter. So we and, and they call great habit. They're, that's not the purpose of Black Lives Matter. Uh, Lorenzo has said that. L.A. has said that. I've said that. So when people say that we don't we don't criticize or we don't address those issues, that's totally false. We've talked about that, and, and we we talked about. The, the, the white supremacists and the, and the, and the groups that, that, that attack the police, let's talk about that, that attack the police at the Capitol. Because you had a whole conglomeration of people there that were attacking it, whether it's, whether it's the Proud Boys, the 3%, whomever. Let's, let's, we, talk, we talk about it. So please don't say we don't talk about it because we may not talk about it the way you want us to. Yeah. Well, agree this real quick. One of the things is that when you, you know, label, especially a group like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter has came out and said that they're about accountability. They don't, they're not, they don't hate the police. They're not out here condoning for people to use violence against the police. But one of the things that people need to understand, and just like with just with the election, you have outside groups who are doing everything they can to infiltrate um, these protesting that took place. I was a part mm-hmm. of, a, uh, of a peaceful protest in Oklahoma City. I actually saw people who had, you knew what the way that they looked, the way that they were dressed. They were not there for the right reasons. They had on backpacks. They had walkie-talkies with them. They had everything that they could possibly have with them to infiltrate and to do little things, and all of a sudden the focus will be put back on the group Black Lives Matter. So there, there is people, no matter what we say, Keith, they're going to believe what they believe, but, you know, especially when you want to talk about Antifa, uh and you want to put Antifa and Black Lives Matter in the same bowl together, and they're not. And so, but you don't, there's not a lot of conversation about the Proud Boys and all these other groups who were walking around with, with, the, with the law enforcement flag, but they were stomping and beating the crap out of police officers. Who actually attacked law enforcement, who actually who, were there looking for people yeah. to kill. Who actually put nooses out to hang people. So, yeah, yeah man, I, I don't want to hear that. That's, uh, and, so and, you, and you the, see the video. 
You see the video of people beating Capitol Police officers with the Blue Lives Matter flag. I thought exactly. that in and of itself was ironic. And then there's also video of a retired New York City detective fighting with a Capitol cop, and you see him gouging, trying to gouge the eyes of the Capitol cop, retired police detective. So don't tell me Blue Lives Matter because they only matter when it's you know, convenient for you, because a lot of people in the crowd were current and former police, current and former military. So don't talk to me about whether or not, you know, this is equitable, because there was a, uh, there was a study done looking at all of the protests that happened in the last 10 years in the country. They said 93% of all the Black Lives Matter protests in this country, 93% of them were peaceful, 93%. Every single state in this nation and every single territory had a Black Lives Matter protest. So to say Black Lives Matter in and of itself is violent is a false narrative, and you're not paying attention if that's what you're saying. Exactly. Well, hey, guys, we are, man, this hour has went by so quick, uh, but we're coming up on the last few uh, seconds of the show. But, Dr. Boyle, we definitely want to thank you for taking the time to come on and join us on, on you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we're going to have to get you back on to, to talk about this topic and, and, and many other great things, but uh, because this is a great topic, you know, beyond reform. Uh, and what does uh, uh, police reform look like? So, uh, again, That's Dr. Boyd, thank you. That's my friend. That's my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank well, you hey, so guys, much for uh, having me. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. All right. We definitely will. And, again, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
must have been crazy then. Remember when you used to.
है 